0: We're in week three of a series uh, that is our first series, and it's basically trying to establish who we are, who we want to be, where, what's going to guide us uh, for however the Lord, however long the Lord allows us to be, uh, what we call Redemption Parker. And we, we've said simply, we want to be about the gospel. We want that to be the central hub by which everything else uh, comes out of. And so we looked at the first week just to answer the question, what is the gospel? It is good news. It's amazing news that God has rescued us and redeemed us through his son Jesus and has secured for us eternity with him. And so we looked at that. And then last week we, we talked about uh, something we all do and everyone on the planet does is to worship. And we said, well, but how does the gospel shape our worship? And Jesus showed us from the woman at the well that, um, though we give ourselves away and worship to a lot of things, he's calling us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Today I want to look at what does a gospel-centered community look like? Uh, I was thinking about this proverb, Proverbs, Proverbs 13:20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm, will suffer harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And now, all, what I love about the proverbs is it's proverbial. It's proverbial truth. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to. You can be an atheist. You can. You can be whatever, and recognize the truth of that. Every parent recognizes the truth that uh, who your kids do life with uh, eventually shapes the direction and course of their life. And and so um, we've all spent time on uh, hopefully on the good side of that equation, but we've all spent time on the bad side of that equation too, and uh, that's a whole nother sermon for another time that I could just tell you all the times where I uh, walked with the f- uh, fools and suffered harm, or was the ringleader of the fools, as the case may be. But I suffered harm. And I'll just tell one story. When I, Again, when I was a little kid, maybe seven years old, six, seven years old. We were in a new neighborhood, and uh, they were building houses. And we were with the other... I was with some other boys, and there was an older boy. He's kind of a rebel. And so we just thought he was cool because he defied his parents. And uh, he... Uh, He was like, hey, we went into the houses, and they were framing the house. And he's like, let's start. He just starts tearing off the drywall, knocking holes into it, Um, and we're like, that's cool. And so we join him, (laughs) and and we're kicking holes in the wall. And just punk kids, right? Like, what were we thinking? What we weren't thinking was that across the cul-de-sac, the guy who was building the house lived there. And he looks out his window, and he sees these four or five punk little boys tearing up his investment, and so he comes hauling out of there, right? And he comes across the dirt field, and he grabs us by our shirts. He was actually, in hindsight, very kind to us to drag us home to our parents. I'll never forget because he was obviously so livid to get out there in his socks. He stepped on a nail, went through his foot. I just remember the bloody sock, and uh, uh, I understood the equation. Uh, a companion of fools, will suffer harm. And that's what I, that's what I got from my parents when, uh, when I went home. But uh, now that's one thing as a kid, and you can recover that, but we all know that as you get older, the stakes only increase. And in the New Testament, it goes not from proverbial truth. It ups the, ups the game like 5,000 times. It's not that, just that who we do life with uh, you know, will help us one way or the other. In the New Testament, on repeat, the authors of the epistles will say, you have to do life together. You you have to be in community. You are connected. You're rescued by the gospel. And and so in the epistles, you see this pattern time and time again in Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Hebrews. You you see this pattern where the author is reminding Christians of the gospel. And he says, remember who you were. Remember who you are. And then it transitions. And it always says, now in light of the gospel, this is what life is to look like for those that have been rescued and redeemed, those that have been made new creations. And, and always in that is this point where, and you do life together. Now, um, that's hard for us as Americans, being highly individualistic. Which is crazy to me because on the one hand, we, many of us in this room, maybe most of us in this room uh, would, would say, we believe that Jesus came, put on flesh, lived a perfect life in our place, died in our place, was buried, rose again from, from, by the power of God. We believe all that. And then he says, and I want you to do life daily together. We're like, well... Well, don't be a Jesus freak. I mean, that's a little bit too much. No, like, if that's true that God has rescued and redeemed us, and then he says some things, he's given us gifts. Like in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how he's equipped us with spiritual gifts. If you're a believer in Christ, you actually have spiritual gifts. You might not know what they are, but you have them. And the scripture is very clear. They're not for you. They're for the people next to you and for me and my gifts are for you. See, God has a plan to shape and form Christ in us, but his plan is to do that through in, the imperfect people around us, filled with the Spirit. So when we started about nine months ago, we, we started in our home. We just uh, opened up our home and said, invited some people say, hey, would you like to share a meal together? Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll just pick a, bo- a book of the Bible to go through and we picked the book of Acts. And we just did a chapter or a time and read it together. We spent some time. We got to know each other. And uh, I think it's providential that we picked the book of Acts, though. Because as we looked at the book of Acts and we saw God work in that first church, we said, God, would you do in us what you did in them? If we do what they do, will you do what you did? And so we, we just began to say, hey, what does that look like? And Nick shared that passage last week. I'll get to Hebrews eventually, but uh, in Acts chapter 2, it just kind of became a, a, a vision for us uh, for Redemption Parker. And one of the things we actually really struggled with as we considered what our next step was is we struggled with, do we do a Sunday morning thing? Because everyone does a Sunday morning thing, and not that it's bad, but it's not what we see in the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts is there are times, certainly, where the the big body of believers come together and they worship, but more times than not, they're just in each other's home, and God is doing amazing things. In the the book of Acts, in chapter 2, verse 42, it says this And they, the first century church, early first days, they devoted themselves. Think about something you're devoted to. Like, what do you do? You, you spend your energy, your effort, your time, your, your attention, you're devoted. So, they devoted themselves to four things to the apostles' teaching. They said, we need, to, we need to know more. We need to sit under the stream of God's grace and revelation about Himself. And so, they were devoted to, to knowing God in their mind. But, but not just that, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the people on their left and their right, uh, to the circle. In, in their homes and to the breaking of bread now that that means one of two things it, it means certainly communion it, it, remembering God's Christ's broken body and shed blood but it also means just having a meal together there's there's something even even in our culture but especially in middle, middle eastern culture when you go into each other's home and you break bread and share a meal together there's something dynamic that happens in those moments and then to prayers and he begins to unpack more of what happens in that early church, but, but down in verse 47, it says they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and, and here's what we hope for. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were transferring from other mega churches. No, it doesn't say that. Um, that's not what we hope for either. Um, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I'm giving away my sermon for a couple weeks from now, but so we looked at Parker, and we saw, hey, 65% on the last census said, uh, they, which religion do you ascribe to? And they said, none. None. 65% have, uh, that live in this area, within three miles of right here, uh, say, I have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now, I'm reading a book called The Rise of the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not Rebel Catholics, um, and the the author is alarmed because the national average has raised from nine percent nuns to eighteen percent nuns. So you start to get a picture of where are, where we where we're at. And then another uh, d- denomination saw that eighty percent of their converts uh, or people that were getting saved in the last five years came from churches that were less than two years old. They were church plants reaching people. And we said, okay, maybe the Lord would have us plant a church simply for the fact that so many around us do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we said, well, how is that going to work? He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He goes on in, in the book of Hebrews. It kind of gives us a, a pattern for uh, doing life together. And, and the, like I said, the New Testament takes this concept to a whole new level. In the book of Hebrews, we're going to start in uh, chapter 3, but uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to a, a group of uh, Jewish background believers. Now, some of them are genuine believers and others are, have given mental assent to Jesus, meaning, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But they've also said, but we still need the law. We still need, uh, we, we need to venerate Moses and angels and, and all these things, Jesus plus something. And the author of Hebrews says, that's not going to cut it you got to understand the supremacy of Christ. you got to, you got to focus on Christ. And he said, by the way, uh, the persecution has already started. In the first century under the Roman Emperor Nero, a great persecution had broken out. So that if you were a follower of Christ, that meant your life was on the line. And think about that for us. Like If, if, if we were gathered and had to close the shades and, and close the doors and, and sing quietly because our life was on the line, How would we get to the end of our days? How would we persevere to the end? And the author of Hebrews wants the church to persevere. And so several times in the book, just two we'll look at, he he unpacks the gospel and then he says, this is how you're going to make it to the end. Uh, Chapter 3, verse, what verse? 12, thank you. Uh, Let me just open it up there. He says this, take care, brothers. Watch out pay attention, be on your guard, your translation might say, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now we saw a couple weeks ago, God knows who he's going to rescue. God saves. And God will persevere his church. But God is a God of ends, who he will save, as well as means, how people get saved. So he will send people like you and me to share the gospel. People will pray. People will spend time together. And those means will bring about God's ends. And so he says, here's how God's ends are going to look. He says, first of all, there is a tendency, and we sang again this morning, there's a tendency in all of us for our hearts to go astray, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. He says, but here's how you're going to make it to the end, church. Verse 13 But exhort one another every day. And I love this. As long as it's called today. So what's today? Today's today. Tomorrow, what will tomorrow be? Well, that'll be today when we're in it, right? And Friday will be today when we're in it. Uh, It's just every day. It's this dailiness of life together. But notice he says exhort. Your translation might say encourage one another every day, which is important and huge. But you can encourage a stranger. You can't exhort a stranger, or you shouldn't. (laughs) Exhorting means it it implies relationship. It implies access to each other's life. It implies uh, the ability to say things that, uh, because you love them, aren't necessarily things they want to hear. And so you get into each other's life and you have access and you've given access to other people and you, you exhort them and you encourage them and you say, hey, the persecution's coming, but we can make it to the end. Don't lose faith. Press on. You can do this. It says, as long as today is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin is self-deceptive, Right? And the only way to not be self-deceived, according to the author of Hebrews, is to not do life all by yourself. See, we all have crystal clear insight into other people's lives. Like, you know, that girl, she's starting to make some bad choices, and, and so what do we do? We get together and we're like, let's just pray for, um, I don't want to say anyone's name here, let's, <laughs> let's pray for uh, Juliana. Juliana. Um, <laughs> Let's pray for Juliana. You know, Lord, she's making some bad choices. And so, and we kind of like, yeah, did you hear what she did? Yeah, I can't believe she did that with that guy. I, you know, this is going to, this is going impor- to poorly. Let's pray for her. And so we continue to pray. And sure enough, it goes off the rails. It crashes. And, and then we, we, what do we do? We come back to, Lord, uh, we need to pray for Juliana. Her life is now destroyed. Uh, you didn't want to say anything to her, God, so we didn't. Uh, and so, um we see that. You've, you've had experiences like that. But here's the thing. Just as we have some insight into other people's lives, other people should and could have insight into our lives. The question is, are we going to benefit from that insight? And the, the, the author of Hebrews and, and Paul will, will go on and say, this, this isn't just a trivial thing. You're Your eternity is at stake, your perseverance is at stake, you're you're to do life together, because the deceitfulness of sin. He says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He goes on to in, in chapter 10 to unpack this a little bit more. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. So, in other words, he's saying. Let us remember the gospel. Let's hold on to the gospel. Have strong convictions. Believe right things about God. All of that is good, but that's not the whole package. It says, let us hold on. Verse 24, and let us consider, think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. It says, like, do you, do you think about, like, do you, do you sit down and, and are strategic? How can I help the other brothers and sisters in my world to love and good works. I love that word stir up because in the, uh, in the Greek, I believe it's perioximos. And it, what it means, it, what it implies is, and, and elsewhere it's used as to agitate, to spur on like a horse spur, spurs, to agi- let us agitate one another to love. <laughs> like I love that picture, right? Like this is, let's, let's make sure we're, we're all going in the same direction. And whatever it takes, let's get in each other's lives to love and good works. And then verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he says, here's how you're going to persevere. Don't stop meeting in each other's homes. Don't neglect that. So maybe you've been in church and you heard this preached, and, and the pastor said, see, you need to come to church on Sunday morning. You need to come to our, our program. we got a women's program on Tuesday. we got a youth group on Wednesday. You, the, the Bible says you need to be in all these places, and, and uh, that's just an abuse of the text. Those things may be well and good and opportunities for us to encourage one another, but what the author of Hebrews is saying, look, they didn't have a church building to go to. That's a foreign concept in, in the Bible. You know that? Like, to say, that place is my church, now he said, be the church, be in each other's lives. Doesn't matter where you're at on the journey. You may be on step one or 35 years in, uh, but we need each other. And the people on step one have, have things to help and encourage the people that are 35 years in and vice versa. Uh, there's just something that happens in community. See, of those 65% of nuns, we know that the vast majority of them will never step foot in Redemption Parker. The vast majority. You know where they will step foot in? Your house, if you invite them into your home? I, I don't know any of my neighbors that would say, no, I don't, I don't go into people's houses and eat a meal with them. But they will. And, and so what is our plan? We're, as we thought about this again, we were like, do we do a Sunday morning thing? Or do we just do the house church thing? And we said, well, there's value to both. But the tendency is to just make it about a Sunday morning, and we want we want to say we want to say if if that's the case, you know, there's better churches, obviously, better pastors, better preachers, better programs, better fog machines, better all that stuff that you can go to, and find uh, find that there. there. There really is. But if we're going to do life together, we have an opportunity to do something different here. We're going to ask you to do something that that people in this area get. We're going to ask you to enter into what we would call a structured relationship. You're like, I I don't know about that. I just want to do my spirituality thing on my own. Here's Here's the huge truth for us this morning. Your Christian life, your relationship with God, it was meant to be intensely personal, never private. Intensely personal, never private. A private faith is a foreign concept to the God of the Bible. God rescues a people for himself, a people that are are to be a a city on the hill, a a light to the world, not as individuals, but together. Jesus says, as you love one another, the world will see my love for them. We're meant to be in life together. So structured relationships. uh, We we do that all the time, especially here in Parker, Colorado. So you want to get your financial house in order? What do you do? You enter into a structured relationship with a financial advisor. You meet with them once or twice a year and you say, hey, uh, here's where I'm at, here's my debt, here's my, my investments, and, and their experience, their background, their training says, okay, here's what we're going to do. So we do that. Uh, we, we do that for our kids. I, my nephews, who's not paying attention right now, he, uh, just kidding, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Uh, my nephews are awesome at baseball and other sports, but baseball in particular. And it wasn't just like their parents weren't just like, hey, go out and play in the street. There's some of that, sure. But then they said, hey, let's develop that. We're going to get into some structured relationship. We're going to put you on a team. And the team's going to have some scheduled things. And, and there's going to be coaches on that team that are going to help you out. And as they've progressed, they've progressed even more. And they said, we, we need to take it to the next level. And they're at higher, more competitive, and more and more competitive. They're, they're great. But their parents aren't just like, oh, we hope you get good at baseball someday. They're like, no, we want to steward this. We want to enter into some structured relationship. So we get that, right? We get that for our kids. We get. I mean, we even get that for our personal lives. Like, There's a whole industry of life coaches, right? And I think that just speaks to the, to the failure of the church, at least if, if you're a Christian and you feel like, I need to go out, outside somewhere, and pay someone to call them up and say, what decision should I make here? This is a role that the church could play, to be life coaches. So we, we, we want to have... People in structured relationships, and all that means for us, is what we call gospel communities. Gospel communities meet; uh, they meet a couple times a month uh, in one of our homes. We're going to have we have uh, a total of four. We have the gospel community Parker East, gospel community Parker West. We have one for high school and youth, uh, high school and uh, middle school students, and we'll have one eventually for uh, women as well. And in these gospel communities, it's it's basically just uh, some families open their home, they share leadership responsibility, Uh, we share a meal together because something dynamic happens around food and good drink and fellowship. It's a preview of heaven, and and, uh, we get to enjoy that. We open the Word and and, uh, go through maybe a a chapter of the Bible and just say, how would God have us apply this to our lives, and how can we pray for one another? So that happens a couple times a month. And then the other weeks that we aren't meeting uh, provide you opportunities, space in your calendar to invite your own neighbors to your own house or or to serve with us. And for example, we have a refugee ministry that we're gonna work with in Aurora to go down there and serve alongside us. Uh, But we want you to enter in a structured relationship because we believe it's the best way for you to persevere to the end to grow in your faith, to explore questions. We believe that circles are better than rows and and that uh, not that the rows are bad, but that's just not life together. We wanna know each other. We wanna pray for one another. We wanna be in each other's lives. And so here's a question for you. Maybe you already have this and you're going to another church. Praise God for that. But let me ask you this. Who's cheering you on? Who's got your back? Who's going through the peaks and the valleys of your life? See, our, our structured relationships of gospel communities provide what we call accountability, belonging and care. ABC. Accountability. we all need accountability. How, how's your walk with the Lord? How, how's your marriage doing? How's things going with your decisions at your work? We all need a place to belong. We all, we all need to say that, that group of people has my back. We all need, at, at times care. Uh, if the Lord would continue the redemption, Parker, there's going to be times where people get sick, people die, people have broken lives, people are, go through broken relationships. Now, here's the thing about accountability, belonging, and care. We all need it, but in the moment that you need it, if it's not already in place, it's too late. And the moment that you need accountability and, and you're going on a business trip by yourself and, and uh, you're, you're kind of going down a wrong path, and if there aren't men in your life that are, are, are checking in with you, then it's too late. The moment that you need a place to belong and you don't have it, it's too late. And the moment you need care you don't have it, it's so sad to see people go through terrible things in life and not really have a community to care for them. On the other hand, when when people have invested in community and and, uh, have a community around them, when when tragedy strikes, and then on this side of eternity, it does strike. Right now, our friend Doug Wittenberg, some of you know him. He's, uh, well, unless the Lord intervenes within the next month or two, he'll die of cancer. He's got four or five adopted children, uh, another natural birth, uh, and... Well, we've, been, we've, we've gathered uh, several times to be a part of their inner circle, of their prayer group. And uh, as we go there and we pray and we, we're praying over him, um, as we leave, every time we leave, we're just like, man, these people have done life well. The community that has come around them isn't, isn't a false community. They, they tell the stories of 10, 20 years back being in their lives, and now in this moment, uh, they're caring for, they're bringing over meals, they're, they're taking their kids out, uh, and, and he's saying to men in that group, hey, will you help my sin, son learn how to play baseball? Will you, uh, take, will you help my daughter m- know what it means to be a, a woman of God? And he's handing over the reins of his responsibility as his time comes to a close. But he has community. They've invested in people's lives. And that's where all of us want to be in that moment. Because all of us think we're going to just keep on living forever. But tragedy strikes But it can be a beautiful thing when we have accountability, belonging, and care. Five years from now, the number one indicator whether or not you will have a vibrant relationship with God isn't if you say, "I have a vibrant prayer life," "I have a great spiritual disciplines," "I'm in the Word," "I got a great church where the worship music is awesome." All that stuff is great and fine. But the number one indicator of whether or not you will walk with Jesus five years from now is what you decide to do with this message. Will you do life with other people? I've seen it. I've seen people come in our church in Okinawa, come as leaders, as elders, as worship leaders, and then uh, get, get uh, PCS. That means move to another part of the country or world uh, and just not get connected, not get plugged in. And, and it doesn't st- they never wanted to abandon their faith. He, this guy never wanted to cheat on his wife multiple times. That wasn't the plan. It just happened over time. On the other hand, I, I think of on a positive story. I think of a guy named Jared. Jared came to our church in Okinawa six weeks before he was getting dishonorably discharged from the Air Force because he had uh, hooked up with a married woman and gotten her pregnant, and the military said, you're out of here. He came to our church. He became a believer, started hanging out with us every day, but we, were, we knew it was only a, a couple weeks. So we're praying with him. We're like, hey, you need to... Your life is a man. I mean, he's a brand-new believer. He still has... He has to think differently. He has to live differently. He still had all the struggles. All, you know, some people uh, you can come to Christ and everything changes immediately. Other people, you know, it's a long road. It's a long struggle. And we thought, oh man, this is not going to end well for Jared. He's got no uh, opportunity. He's getting dishonorably discharged. He's, he doesn't have any family to support him back in the states. And so we're like, we'll pray for you, man. And uh, Jared moved on. He moved to Dallas and. We kind of just checked from, from a distance, and we're like, wow, he's doing all right. Jared got involved at uh, actually the village church in, in Dallas, and, and the men of that church came around Jared and said, he told them their story, and he's like, I'm a mess. I, I got nothing. Here's what I did. I got a kid on the way who's, you know, the, the mother doesn't want anything to do with me. What am I to do? And they just came alongside Jared, and, and now it's been about 10 years. Jared is a leader in that church. God has transformed it, but He did it through people, and we can't downplay God's purpose in one another. So the question is, how do I how do I join a community, a gospel community? Uh, very easy. Um, we have only a few, uh, so we got uh, the Dugas's and the Myseegers are headed up Parker East. Raise your hand. stand up, Dugas's and Myseegers. There you go. So this family, if you live like on this side of Parker and you want to be a part of a gospel community, they're going to be opening up their homes and inviting people in And the first and third uh, Friday of each month. And so you guys can have a seat now as well. um, They're going to do that. And then we'll have uh, Parker West, which will be uh, in our home uh, in Stonegate area. Um, I didn't tell the Guybies this, but it'll be the Oshmans and the Guybies will help lead that one. Welcome to Redemption Parker. Uh, but you can talk to us. I mean, that's the best way to say, hey, I think we're planning on the first and third also, but the Wednesday nights. Um, we'll also have one for middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, we'll, we'll meet in different homes. Uh, uh, they'll, they'll also it's kind of the same model, share a meal together, open the Word. Uh, there'll be times where we, they go out and do fun things as well. Uh, but uh, that'll be the second and fourth Friday night, right? Okay, so all that information is available on our website. How do I join a gospel community? If you haven't been to our website, it's redemptionparker.org. And in the top right, there's a little hamburger menu is what they call it. Uh, You click on that, and uh, you can't see it here, but in that menu, there's uh, gospel communities. And if you click on that, you're going to get some information, just kind of the vision of of our gospel communities. But if you click on the form... uh, You'll, it'll just ask you a few questions. Give us your name and uh, which one you're interested in. You might be, have youth and your family. What we'd like to see is families uh, in, in our gospel communities come together. There's something amazing to have little kids and, and older people all together in the same room uh, sharing faith together. So just hit that, submit it, and we'll get back to you on that. So that's, that's our hope. That's, that's our plan. We want to see you thrive in your relationship with the Lord. And part of that means thriving with each other, using the gifts God has given you. See, a win for us isn't to get really big and get a building and and do all those things. The Lord might make that happen someday, but that's not our goal, and it's not how we will structure our time. A win for us will be people opening up their homes, inviting their neighbors in, sharing meals together, occasionally opening up the Word of God and saying, here's what God has to say and seeing those multiplied, seeing more and more gospel communities spread across this city. That's a win for us, and that's the only goal we're going to set as as a leadership team, as a a church, is to say, is our gospel communities healthy places to live? So with that, let me um, close us in a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll remember the gospel once again through communion, and Paul and Carol Lee at the end will lead us in one more song. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you have made a people for yourself. We are an imperfect people and you use our imperfections to uh, shape one another into the image of Christ. God, I pray that you would help us, each of us, to hear uh, what it is you're calling us to, how it is we are to uh, just take this message to heart, whether it's with Redemption Parker or uh, wherever we're, we're going to church or just the neighbors on our street, may we have an open door policy. And just as we heard testimony earlier with Mike and Susan that all it takes is one, one family on one street to, to love you well and to open up our doors and to pray for our neighbors to see transformation happen. So would you do that? Would you, would you make that happen in us? Would you do what you did in that first century uh, through Redemption Parker? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.